My name is Ilina Casanova, and I'm currently a professional services manager at Veronis, and this is how I work. How long have you been working at Veronis? It will be seven years in June, so pretty long time. And what was your background prior to working at Veronis? Prior to Veronis, I worked for fairly large size organizations. I would say on the customer side. So I worked in backend IT, and my customers were the internal teams, internal departments, and my coworkers. I worked in both a very technical disciplines. I did some coding. I did some database administration, and then I switched towards project management and geared more and more towards IT security area of overall IT, and then I ended up taking a bunch of Microsoft certificates and CI SSP certifications, so I became kind of an expert on projects within IT security industry. You've gotten certificates, you've held many different roles. How did you end up deciding that Veronis was a good fit for you? So at that point, prior to Veronis, I actually lived in Wisconsin for eight years, and Madison, Wisconsin, to be precise, and that town or city was getting pretty small for me. And I wanted to work for a smaller company and also the one that sells IT as a service. So I wanted to be on the front end of the revenue, not quite in sales, but yet working with external customers. You know, not every company will give you a chance to go and talk to external customers without prior experience. There is more on the line when working with external customers. While working with, with internal customers, of course, you need to deliver to the highest level of satisfaction, but nevertheless, it's your coworkers. If you serve HR team as an IT team, HR team does not have an ability to go to another vendor, right, to another IT team. You don't compete with another IT team, so you kind of have this internal monopoly in delivering the services. If you work with external customers, the external customers, it's real revenue on the line, so it's not just internal transfer of, of you know company budgets between departments. It's real money on the line that do support the company and, and the shareholders. Customers, of course, always have a choice to go with somebody else, so I think there's so much more at stake when dealing with external customers and, you know, the risks and therefore the rewards are so much more elevated. So one day a recruiter from New York City called me and said, oh, this is a little bit of a more technical position, but this is exactly what you wanted, so give it a try. And I had an interview over the phone and they flew me in and I was amazed that Veronis immediately after a brief training trusted me enough to go and deploy our product and train our customers and interact with fairly large companies on behalf of Veronis. Veronis gave me a chance and I really actually enjoyed it and I think I'm a bit surprised even myself that how much fun I had. Right now I can put on my resume very, very extensive experience working with external customers but it was Veronis that gave me that chance and exposed me to this area. I mean, I loved it from day one. Like I said, it's been almost seven years now and I'm still here and still loving it. That's great. So you're involved in professional services at Veronis. What does professional services entail and what was the catalyst to create the professional services department at Veronis? Right now, professional services perform such a wide variety of tasks. It was not always the case started as a supplement to the support department. Veronis support department existed from the very beginning of the company's existence. And if customers had issues, they would call or email support team and deal with them. 
However, at some point, it was clear that it was not sufficient to just give the customer uh, instructions on how to install the products and then have them deal with support as needed to be. So the first person was hired to create you know, one team, professional services department, that rapidly grew based on the customer's need into the team specializing in the initial installation and training for the customers. Lately, other technical tasks were added, such as upgrades or migrations as the customers needed to move from one server to another. At some point, the customers asked us to do more reporting on the issues within the environment, the issues with data permissions. So that was added to uh, the list of tasks that professional services performed. And then later, the customer started asking us to not only report on the issues, but actually fix them. And that's when the remediation services branch was born. So it, it was very organic growth. It was very much driven by customer demands. And as well as it was driven by our customers becoming larger and bigger enterprise companies and more, as we had more and more international companies around the world, there was a need to provide more than just installation services, but you know, do project management as well, do business analysis and other things as well. So at this point, we do anything from simple installation to very large wide-scale rollout around the world as well as perform even multi-year engagement, very wide variety of projects and engagements, and some of them could be very large. Uh, so professional services is wide in scope. So are you engaged with other teams within Verona to coordinate? As, as we collect more and more feedback from the field and as professional services department itself is reaching, I believe, seven years of age, we interact more and more with other teams to make sure that the feedback from the field goes back into, for example, product management. Product management is one of our uh, biggest uh, co-collaborators here in Veronis, so we provide feedback from the customers uh, as well as uh, feedback from professional services on how to make the product uh, more stable, more customer-friendly, more user-friendly, and, and to shape the future of the product. Other teams are sales, of course. I personally spend up to 30% of my time on sales calls because some of the remediation engagements are fairly large and complex, and it helps to have somebody on the call to uh, talk to the customer about the best practices, the pitfalls to avoid, and, and so on. So of course, it's just for sales, it's hard to have that level of experience and interactions from previous projects, so it helps to have a professional services representative on a call or we even go on site to help sales close the deal. How would you break down your, your day? So it's about 25% with sales, about 15% with product management and marketing, and that left 60% of a, a pure project management with professional services. The term remediation is thrown a lot. Exactly, is it? From Veronis' perspective, it's remediation of data access. The reason why companies need it is that at almost every external breach at some point becomes an internal breach. So companies surround themselves with heavy layers of firewalls and uh, they secure the perimeter as best as they can. However, with so many companies outsourcing and subcontracting so many IT activities with, to other vendors, as well as those vendors in turn subcontracted to more and more vendors, it's almost impossible to fully uh, protect internal data via firewall. 
once somebody, whether it's malicious employee or malware, can get inside the company and they, they start accessing data they shouldn't be accessing, that breach spreads internally like water through titanic compartments. And this is why companies need to secure their internal data in addition to securing their perimeter. And this is our term remediation that we use. It's to secure data within those compartments inside the company. So if there is a breach, that breach will be limited to that compartment and will not, say, impact the operational areas of the company. And how would customers know if their internal permissions are overexposed? So, for instance, if all finance folders are open to everyone in the organization, there's a huge disconnect. So I think C-levels, they think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they probably already think that that problems have already been corrected and is not really an issue because if we've been able to create so much amazing technology that that problem is no longer an issue. Meanwhile, IT's like, you know, if you do it manually, um, if you try to fix global group access, that is a very hard problem to fix. So you, you're very uh, correct on this one that not only it's hard to fix, but many customers are not even aware that there is a problem in the environment to begin with. We actually call it turning the light in the basement to discover dead bodies there because most native operating systems do not actually provide any interface or any information on the exposure of data internally. And it's actually really tough without a specialized product such as Veronis to even see that unless you thinking there is a problem and you actually create some kind of scripts to, you know, to scan your internal uh, permissions. But if you don't know there is a problem, you don't know what you don't know, so you don't even think about that. So you're looking at other areas. I love the shocking look on customer's face when we perform our risk assessment. So we can really quickly scan the environment and within 48 hours produce amazing wealth of information to the customers. And I love going to customers' meetings and showing them that, look, 40% of your data is exposed to everyone in the company. Oh, and you have 20,000 accounts in your company and any one of these accounts can access 40% of your data. Did you know that? We even ask the customers to write the numbers on a paper and just kind of as a bet. Not a bet maybe, but just to, again, they show the gap between the perception and the reality that, hey, how many folders do you think are exposed to everyone? And the customers, I mean, virtually every time would say, I don't know, four, five, maybe 10, 50, and then we run the scan and it turns out it's 50,000. What about prospects? Do you think that they can write a script? Well, so a script technically maybe could be written, but because our product is optimized for this and we've been doing it for now more than 10 years, we will scan a, even a very large environment within a matter of 48 hours while as a script, a manual script, it could take it months to go through each and every folder and collect those permissions and then report them in a meaningful manner. We have a beautiful interface. We can immediately, you know, show you the pie charts and all the graphics and trends, and it's really beautiful, and you can click around and play around with it. You can drill down, come back out, and so on and so forth. Even if you write a script and it takes that script months to scan the permissions, it, it will be just a, a huge like a text log file that will be really hard to differentiate between different departments, different company branches, again, drill down, come back out of it, and so on and so forth. So we were just giving you such a good interface and everything at a glance, and our product rescans it constantly. So if there are any changes, permissions got changed, we'll immediately 
produce a snapshot of that. Let's go back to the finance folder that's open to everyone. So if I remove that ability where the finance folders are remove the global group access, what steps, if any, do I need to take? So removing access from everyone is an excellent first step. And how we do it is we look at the activity in the back end. And if an account, whether it's individual account or a service account, had any activity, we will add, we will keep that account access while disconnecting the everyone group. In many cases, that, that is enough. However, if it's truly sensitive data, and you know, I would argue that all the data is sensitive, right, if it comes to that. However, we can, the software itself cannot differentiate between legitimate and illegitimate access, and only human eyes can. We had a situation where we had a, somebody running a so-called crawler from their workstation, and that software would just go and hit every share open and try to scan what's inside. As a result of it, it produced a lot of activity. So when we performed automatic removal of the group everyone, it kept that account because the account had activity. And so with with the next step of the of the access certification that is performed by a human data owner, we would have never been able to actually expose that account and say that, look, why is this account in this group? Why did it have any activity to begin with? It should have never been able to perform that. So the second step of a human access recertification, which we call entitlement review, really tightens down the access to the state of least privilege. So you need you need both steps. One is automatic software removal and then human entitlement review. If you're a company, you have data and you feel like the data keeps growing and there's not enough IT staff, what are your recommendations for that company? We recommend uh, handing off a lot of that responsibility and accountability on who should be accessing data to so-called data owners. Those are the people from the business side who know what type of data is inside and who should be having access to it. For It's not um, feasible for the IT department to know, especially in mid and large size companies, to know exactly who should be having access to each folder. Should Mary be having access to finance, stocks, or bonds folder or not? Or maybe Mary, you know, moved positions, or maybe now her job description changed slightly and she no longer needs to have that access. Only business owners know that. And so our recommendation is, and, and it seems like more and more customers not only buy into that, but actually come to us asking to implement this. So our, our recommendation is to define data owners for all of your data within and outside of IT, and then implement some kind of process, very user-friendly process that allows data owners within minutes to make decision on who should and should not be having access to their data. And when it comes to stale data, what are your recommendations? With stale data, we try to follow um, company policies. First of all, as long as you're actually doing something with stale data, you're already doing well. The potential actions that could be applied to stale data are data quarantine, so you strip out all the permissions and maybe potentially only storage team or only internal audit has access to it. You can move it to into cheaper storage. So maybe it is it will be a bit slower for your customers and applications, but nobody's accessing it anyway, so you're just keeping it there and, and it costs less for the company. Or you just delete it. So but if you're an organization that doesn't care about the cost of storage, why would it be worth figuring out what to do with stale data? 
cost of storage is only one of the aspects that comes into decisions of what to do with stale data. And by the way, when you think about that, it's the cost of storage is not just active data that sits on a disk, but also the countless backups and often data duplication that also costs your company money. However, let's say that's not a factor. Stale data could be a, a, an area of risk to the company because it creates liability. If you remember a case with Sony, when emails from more than 10 years ago resurfaced with Angelina Jolie being, you know, called some names and that caused the company loss of reputation, as well as the actress will never now do business with Sony. Those are the liability issues that should drive a company to deleting the stale data the moment it passed the regulation period of retaining it. Um, you just simply don't know what's stored in there and if you are, if there is a lawsuit and you are subpoenaed, you will have to present all the data that's stored in your company servers. Now, if it was deleted, and then you cannot, and you don't have to actually present it. Of course, you have to retain it. I'm sure your legal department knows uh, for X number of months or years, but past that period, too many companies just continue keeping that data, and again, it just represents a liability issue from that perspective. GDPR is coming up, and I'm wondering if you're getting any questions about that. GDPR is an interesting uh, regulation because in U.S., many companies still don't think they fall under its jurisdiction. GDPR covers any company that has at least one customer or one employee with a EU citizenship. So I've been to the meetings with customers where we would, in U.S., where we would bring up GDPR and we would hear back that, oh, no, we are not impacted. We don't have any customers or employees that have that citizenship. And then a person literally in a meeting actually raised his hand and said, I have a dual passport. I am a EU citizen. So it, it was just kind of very funny to see that. But at the same time, I think we need to do more awareness training to demonstrate to U.S. companies that they simply may not know, but it's actually very likely if you are a large U.S. company, even if you don't do business specifically in the European Union, it's very likely that if you are big enough, it's very likely that one of your employees or customers does have a, that citizenship, and then you will fall under the umbrella coverage of GDPR. Also, it's very important to know that how, how strict GDPR is and how severe the penalties are. And I think, again, while in Europe many companies scramble to make sure that they are ready for the rollout in May, uh, but U.S. companies are still, for them, it's still something on the backbone or something that they're not actively thinking about. So it would be interesting to see this transition. We've been working in the InfoSec space for a long time. A lot of people say that SEC is really just about compliance and dismiss the potential value of security. What we see is more and more companies that do not consider themselves IT companies do actually become IT companies in a way that so much of their business is built on technology working well, being stable, you know, without having downtimes and so on and so forth. And then with that comes, comes security. I mean, you hear a lot now about Facebook and, and how well or not well they actually kept customers' data. So that makes more and more companies on business level, on CEO level, think about, okay, how is my IT working and how do we have backups, do we have some redundant network that if outage happens that my the airline will continue 
to function. So, and how secure is that? With so many companies being hit with uh, security, data security breaches recently, and we finally, we see CEOs actually losing jobs because of that. I think InfoSec's been, the role of InfoSec's being so elevated, and now it's um, in, InfoSec representatives participate in a very high-level business discussions because otherwise, if you ignore that, you will have impact to your core business. So it sounds like you've been keeping really busy with lots of data breaches and fixing global group access. Outside of work, what do you enjoy doing? I jokingly actually say on my LinkedIn profile that somebody just reminded me that I bore people to death at parties with the security, data security conversations, and maybe yes, that does happen. So I also love to travel around the world, and I used to travel a lot more before I had had the kids. But we are we are trying to involve our kids. Well, I have one. Uh, a toddler, 16-year-old, 16-month-old, sorry, and one on the way, <laughs> very little. But she already has her, her global entry, and she's been on, I think, oh, nice. 12 flights now. So, yes, we actually had to take her to airport uh, for um, clearance interview with immigration officials, and she did very well. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she can now bypass the immigration line on the entry to the country. and. So yeah, we hope we hope to kind of maintain somewhat our travel lifestyle. Uh, I used to travel so much, I actually ran out of international of uh, space and the passport within two years of getting it, and I had to send it back to the officials to add more pages. What were the last three places you went to? So the last three three places we just went to Bermuda. Uh, with the whole family, and before that we went to Guadeloupe, which is a French West Indies that were not on my radar until Wall Street Journal ran an article about it, and Norwegian Airlines actually opened a direct flight there. I highly recommend it. It's one of those areas that doesn't have any five-star resort hotels yet, but it's, it's, a, it's a great place to go, and in four hours from New York City, anyways, you'll be there. And prior to that, it was probably, oh, it was Scotland, also actually a new country for me, but I went there for work. Every time I go for work, I do try to sneak out and find some few hours to at least go maybe for a local hike or explore a castle like I did in Scotland, so, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I hear the landscapes there are gorgeous. Sounds like you've had a very rewarding career thus far, and I wish you much success. Thank you very much. Support for the Inside Out Security Show and the following message come from Veronis. A Veronis data risk assessment doesn't take long. A 90-minute software install lets you map access to your directory services, classify files to discover what's sensitive, and start monitoring and analyzing user behavior. If you want to turn on the lights, Veronis can help. Visit info.veronis.com forward slash podcast and get a free data risk assessment.